0: We began to think and really just fell under conviction to be honest of, man, if, if these people that have a false gospel can have the boldness to go around in our community and share a false gospel, who are we not to go and share their true gospel?
1: I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for Him. Last week, we heard from Sheila Booth Albertstadt and her journey into the prosperity gospel movement and then how God drew her out of it. If you missed it, you can hear that story by visiting our website, compelledpodcast.com. Today, our guest is Robert Harris, a missionary to Southern Asia. There are many things that make his story different than anyone else we've heard from this season, but one of the key things that struck me is his desire to bring the gospel to people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus. Robert is on the front lines of evangelism and has seen God's work displayed up close in many ways. That story coming up right after a word from today's sponsor. When I sat down with Robert earlier this year, I knew right away that this interview would stand out for many reasons, partly because of Robert's youthfulness. But just like Timothy in the Bible, Robert hasn't allowed his young age to be an excuse from pursuing his passion for God's kingdom and seeing the name of Christ spread throughout the nations. Quick side note, Robert Harris isn't his actual name. Due to the sensitive nature of his work and the opposition that's always present, We chose to use a pseudonym for this episode. Robert grew up in Austin, Texas, not going to church most of his life. He was familiar with Jesus, but had no relationship with Christ until his junior year of high school, which was a very dark time in his life. I was just starting to realize
0: how sad life was, and just looking around the world and just seeing like, man, there's really no reason for me to be here. And so I was suicidal at the time. I was a little bit depressed. And uh, I just heard someone talk about Jesus, about the, the fact that he calls himself the Prince of Peace. Mm. And I didn't have peace in my heart, and so I really just one night in my room, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, Jesus, you know, if you really are this, this Prince of Peace, uh, I need peace in my life. I need peace in my heart. And so if you'll come and give me your peace, then I'll give you my life. And from that day forward, I've always had peace in my life. I've never had another suicidal thought. I've never had any, you know, hints of depression or anything. I really believe that's the night that you know God saved me. Wow. Well, early on, I got really captivated by uh, this verse that we've called the Great
1: Commission. The Great Commission, of course, is in Matthew chapter 28 and in the first chapter of Acts, when Jesus tells his disciples to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. God was leading Robert to these verses early on, but first, Robert's heart still needed an adjustment
0: my freshman year of college, um, I kind of rebelled against God. I went and tried to, you know, meet the next woman and just alcohol or even just like the small, subtle addictions that a lot of people don't even think about with, you know, entertainment and just everything that I could occupy my mind and my devotion besides God, I was trying to give towards that. Yeah, And so the way I would say, I went and you know tasted everything the world had to offer, and it was really bitter. God broke me in that season. Uh, I started going to a local church here in Austin, and it was about six months after God rebroke me. I kind of rededicated my life to Christ. That God just for one month straight, He put in my mind uh, a question of if you. Really believe that I'm true. If you really believe I'm God, and you really believe that you're gonna spend uh, eternity with me, then how would you live your life? Yeah. And I I tried to shake that question from my mind, um, but literally for a month straight, I had that same question come into my mind and heart every single day. And uh, I finally, by the end of the month, I really thought about it, and I said, Well, if if I really believe, whenever people die, they either go to eternity with you or they go to eternity without you. And the thing that hinges on that is if in this lifetime, they uh, confess and repent of their sins and call you Lord, if I really believe that is true, then I would go and and tell people that have never heard about you uh, so that they could have that opportunity uh, to be with you for all of eternity. And so that's how I got into missions
1: To prepare for the mission field, Robert enrolled in various training programs that taught him about discipleship, missions, other cultures, and more. And it was through one of these programs that he met his wife, who had also been called to missions. But after a few years of preparing for the mission field, Robert and his wife realized something. Despite their training, they hadn't actually made any disciples in America. And they felt convicted that if they were planning on moving halfway across the world to make disciples overseas, then they wanted some real-life experience doing that here in the States. And providentially, God opened those doors right in their backyard.
0: We were sitting there, you know, one day, and, and we got a knock on the door, and it was some Mormon missionaries. We lived in a heavily— Uh, Latino community, and so they would frequently come in there. And so they knocked on the door, and and we, you know, let them in. Of course, we wanted to talk to them and and have a good conversation, got them a glass of water, began talking. They realized, you know, what we were, and so they got out of there, you know, pretty quick. Yeah. And then, you know, a few hours after that, uh, we had some Jehovah's Witness knock on our door. Same thing. They realized who we were. They got out of there. Same day. Same day. Hilarious. And we just— we we began to think and really just fell under conviction, to be honest, of, man, if if these people that have a false gospel can have the boldness to go around in our community and share a false gospel, who are we with a real gospel not to go and share their true gospel? And so we just started following them around, and, and they would go to a door, and then we'd go after them. Oh, and wow. so we would we'd knock and just say, hey, you know, we're in the we live here in the community and and we just care about you, and we just we want to pray for you. Is there anything in your life that we can just pray for? And so we just started doing that, and we started to see some of our our neighbors come to faith. And so we had a um, a Hispanic couple from Honduras that lived in our apartment complex, and we went and we knocked on their door. And we don't know much Spanish. Uh, my wife learned enough to say, "Hey, can we pray for you?" And that's what we learned in Spanish. So we we knocked on the door. They spoke Spanish. We said, "Hey, can we pray for you?" And uh, they said, "Yeah, absolutely." And so they um, the husband of the family he was we we could understand enough to know he was in pain, mm. and and he's he said he's he's in pain. He's hurting, and so we said, "Okay, well, we're just going to pray for you." And so we just prayed in, in Jesus' name and then we we left and we came back a few days later with one of our friends that spoke spanish and and we just knocked on the door and and uh when they answered it was an immediate wide open door yeah and they saw us and they said hey come in and we said okay and so we we went in and and they began to share with us that after we came by and and prayed for them that their his pain that day just released oh wow and they said you know we we were so thankful for that and so we just said, hey, can we just, you know, share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ? And can can we just share it with you in three minutes? And so we have this simple little drawing that we draw just to kind of communicate the gospel. He accepted Christ right there. Oh, wow. And then he called out his daughter and his son and his wife and said, hey, you got to come, come hear this. And so when he came out, we, we looked at him and we said, you know, you you share it with them. We drew it already. You explain it to your family same 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 just minutes same time just minutes later just right away and so they come out and uh, he takes the picture that we had just drew and he explained and just reproduced it in a matter of minutes he explained to uh, his family about jesus and how he came to make us right and how he came to die for our sins on the cross and so we started to read the bible in the home with him and his family And the awesome thing is, is we read the Bible with them for multiple months in the home because that's where they felt comfortable. And his wife was, she was very opposed to Christianity. So she had a a bad, a bad uh, stint with Christianity. She didn't want to go to the church, but she was really open to read the Bible in her home. Yeah. And so we read the Bible. And after months of reading the Bible with them, God really softened her heart. She came to Christ. Wow. We were able to plug them into a local congregation that they as far as we know, they're still a part of. And so we began to see things like that happen in our community. But then also just all around Austin, we had some other friends that were going after and trying to see the same things. And we were learning and we were seeing people come to Christ. We were seeing people get baptized. Unfortunately, we were seeing people fall back and we were mourning that. And we, we were just learning this, this how the kingdom grows
1: yeah. uh, practically. Wow. Praise God. Robert and his wife were excited to see God bringing people into His kingdom before their very eyes, and their excitement was about to turn into awe. And so we had an opportunity.
0: We got into a local jail here in Austin, and we had an opportunity to um, work with some of the inmates who are coming in and out of the jail. Yeah. And so they asked me. They they said, you know, we we want you to teach a Bible class. And so I I started, you know, did the Bible class a couple times. We just kind of looked at the scriptures. And then I realized a bunch of these guys that were coming to my class, I was like, man, these guys, they know the Bible pretty well.
1: The ones in prison.
0: Yeah. I was like, they know the Bible pretty well. I was like, and most of them, you know, they've been believers. They've just kind of backslid. They kind of fell away, but they're coming back to Christ. I said, these guys really don't need necessarily Bible 101. These guys need to learn how to join in the work of the kingdom and so we we shifted it from kind of uh, let's just talk about basic Bible stories which they already knew and let's talk about how do we get started uh, working with Jesus and multiplying disciples and so we started equipping them with some of these same simple tools okay in your jail cells how do you engage the other inmates or in your in your jail how do you share the gospel and in your jail cell how do you disciple the new believers so that they can make more disciples? We trained a guy named Donnie, and uh, he was just really, really passionate about Jesus. Um, And we trained him, and then he went back in the cell, and he just had a knack for engaging with people. He just really knew how to talk to people. And so he led another guy to faith. I can't remember his name. And then Donnie came back to us, and he said, hey, I led this guy to faith. He said, what do I do? Like, I bring him to your class, or do you want to go meet with him on a private visit? I said, no, Donnie. I said, you're a disciple of Jesus. Whatever we taught you, you teach it to him. You pass it on. There's no need to bring him back to us. You're fully empowered to disciple this man. And that really gave him a lot of life. And so he said, wow, I'm... I'm not just supposed to go and recruit people for your class. He said, I actually can go and make a disciple. Yeah. And so he went back and he started discipling this guy and, and he taught him how to share the gospel, how to engage with the inmates. And then that guy led another guy to faith. Wow. And so then he came back to Donnie and he's like, Hey, Donnie, I led this guy to faith. I want you to come start me with him. And Donnie said, No. He said, You're a disciple of Jesus. You disciple them. Yeah. Just do the same things I'm doing with you. So what they started doing was Donnie would meet with his disciple. We'll call we'll just call him a Timothy. He would meet with his Timothy on a Monday, and then on Tuesday, his Timothy would go meet with the other guy. So they were doing just in time training. Yeah. That whatever Donnie did on Monday, he would just go reproduce that the next day with his disciple. And so what. We saw God do over a span of, I think, just a few weeks. We saw third generation disciples in a span of just three weeks, and oh, so wow. a lot of amazing things happened. I think in a span of four weeks, they saw over fifty people come to Christ in the oh, jail. Wow! Just in their pod, and then it spread to three or four
1: different pods. Oh wow! That's amazing. Just to see, like you know, th- that's that's the that's God's hand at work, working through people. Amen. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit wng.org. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues— If you have a student between 13 to 18, and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Robert and his wife were excited to see God bring many people to Christ, both in their local community and in prison. And it was around this time that their next journey would begin.
0: My wife and I, you know, from day one when we met, we knew that we were called overseas. And so for us, it wasn't a matter of if we were going to move overseas it was when yeah and so we felt like after uh, two years of laboring here and getting married and doing our first year of marriage here, we felt a release from God uh, confirmed by the community around us that said, you know now's the time that you guys can go uh, to Asia and so we were sent out uh, kind of that acts 13 and the church laid their hands and sent them out yeah. And so we went to Asia, and first we got there and, and tried to figure out how the heck do we live over here. It's way different. No one's speaking your language, and just everything is backwards. And so that was an adjustment period for us. And so we adjusted, we got some survival language, and then we just started to do the same thing that we were doing here in America. But we began to notice that we're really not the best people to be engaging them because everybody we ask, do you want to accept Jesus? A hundred percent raise their hand. Yeah. Yeah. We want to accept Jesus. And what it is, is it's a respect for us as a foreigner. And so we weren't really getting a very honest response, which makes it a lot harder to, you know, who, who to filter, to spend your time with and disciple. Sure. I mean, one example is a lot of pastors would tell me, uh, man, you guys from the West, y'all come over like and have missions trips, and we love it. They, they love having us, so don't get me wrong. They love having foreigners come over and, and go out and share the gospel with them and do you know medical projects. They love that. They eat it up. They love it. He said, but uh, a lot of the times you guys will come, and you guys will go out and share the gospel, and everybody will raise their hand, and you guys think that you led 100 people to faith. And then when y'all leave and we follow up, we find three or four that really put their faith in Christ. They just fall back into whatever religion that they were already uh, worshiping. But what we learned is whenever nationals went, uh, they got a real honest response. They would be beaten or chased out or whatever. And so they knew exactly who to spend their time with and who not to. Yeah. And so we realized that it was more effective for us to equip leaders. We also believed that Ah, uh, we're not the answer for for any place for any country, but we believe that the answer is the insider, and that God has prepared the the men and women that are going to lead each uh, country. And so we just wanted to try to find some of those people that God was calling and to come alongside them and to really serve them and to really encourage them. And so we tried to discover. We'd meet with pastors and just say, "Hey, tell us, what's what's the vision God's given you?" Yeah. So we meet with some pastors and they would say, Man, the vision God has given me is to plant three churches. And we come alongside them and say, Hey, can we help you do that? Can we just come alongside you and help train you and equip you how you can plant three new churches? Yeah. And then we meet with some guys and they say, We want to plant 50. Well, can we come alongside you? And so really our job is to help uh, national believers fulfill the vision that God has given them.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, you're in a country that is um, you know we're not going to explicitly identify right now, But even you, as an American, there is a certain element of where you cannot freely do what you're doing, right? Like explain what what is that like? Um, like help us as as Americans kind of understand the situation.
0: they They investigate, they look into you. they try to figure out who you are. And if they find something, they just deny you access to the country. And so you're not able to get in and to meet with pastors and to train and to work with them. And so we take precautions against that because as long as God allows us, we want to be able to get into these countries and to come alongside national believers and equip them. And I think for a lot of these countries, and it's happened in some of them, but there is a day coming whenever the Westerner will not be allowed in to do any of this. And they can track you well enough to to deny you this. And so why we have this time um, that we can, we wanna get in and equip as many national leaders as we can so that really they can carry this thing on and carry it to completion.
1: For the time being, Robert and his wife are making the most of every opportunity that they have while they're still allowed to be in Southern Asia. Because they work extensively with the pastors for many house churches, Robert has had a lot of exposure to the resistance against Christianity but he's also seen the resilience of those that are persecuted and their devotion to their Savior. There's one pastor
0: um, that I work with, and I went out to his home. He lives out in a little village, and he runs a school, and he began to just tell me this story. Um, He said, you know, this is my house right here and five years ago it was burned down by the different religious radicals in our area they burned it down because we were having a house church in it oh wow and so we just you know suffered the loss and we just quietly rebuilt it and then we started this school and now the same people that burnt down my house they send their kids to come to my school for education oh wow And so now we began to just have this relationship and they're very grateful. And so now when people come in that are more radical and say, hey, we need to do something about this, they stick up for him and say, no, like he's doing good for our community.
1: Even though that these, the original radicals, have they become Christians themselves or are they still? Some of
0: them, some of them have started coming to his house church after he just, through his life, he bore witness to Jesus Christ saying, no, like it's okay. You can burn it down. It's fine. I got Jesus. I'm okay. And so some of them have come to faith. Some of them have not come to faith, but they uh, protect him and they like him and they love what he's doing in the community. Yeah. So there was a pastor. He's become a really good friend of mine. We'll just call him David for the sake of the story. And so David and I, we had done a lot of training together. We still actively, even now while I'm back in the States, we're talking on a weekly basis. He's just a really good friend of mine. Um, and so we were up in his hometown. We were driving up to his hometown one time. He lives up in the hills. And we had uh, his wife was with us. And then another man, an older man who I didn't know, but he got in the car and we were driving and halfway up, we stopped for tea And we went in and we sat down and we were drinking tea. And midway through tea, his wife looks over to me and says, this is him and points at the other man that was there. And I was like, well, who is this? And um, she shared with me the story that 10 years prior, uh, she became a Christian and her whole family began to beat her from her uncles to her father They began to beat her and she got a New Testament, a really small New Testament, and she would go sit in the bathroom at night under a really dim light and read it because if they found out that she was reading it, they would beat her. And if they Uh. found it, they would burn it and then they would beat her. And so she just persevered for 10 years. And the cool thing is, is just a week prior to that, uh, her mom was in the hospital And they went to the hospital and they prayed for her mom and they shared the gospel with her mom and her dad. And her mom and her dad, they repented and put their faith in Jesus right there. And then they went to their home and they got all of the different idols that they had and they packed them up and they went to the side of the mountain and they chunked them off the side of the mountain and said, from now on, our house will follow the Lord. And then I got to see the actual baptism of uh, her mom and father. Oh, wow. And so we're sitting there and she's like, yeah, this is my uncle. This is the one that used to beat me whenever I became a Christian. And she leans over to me and she says, this is the last one left. And I said, what do you mean? She said, all the rest are believers now. He's the last one. We're almost there. Wow. And so we're praying. We're, we're, we're interceding and just saying, man, God, would you save her uncle? Would you just bring him to Christ? And would you complete this whole family uh, that has really come to faith because of the gospel and Jesus, but even just so much by the testimony of this young lady to say that no matter what, I'm going to follow Jesus. Wow. He's my Savior. He has touched me. And so that stories like that are pretty common. I was in another leader's meeting uh, a few months prior to that and i don't speak the language super well i can only pick up on a little bit and so we're sitting there and i have a translator and um, they are telling testimonies and stories of what has been happening in the fields that they're working in the different uh, mission fields that they're engaging in the different villages and so they were telling stories and this one young guy he started telling a story and then they all just started laughing First, it started with giggles. Yeah. And then it kind of got to chuckles. Yeah. And then as he was going on with his story, it got into just full on laughter. And they're in a part of, they're talking about topics that I don't understand in the language. And so my translator, he's laughing. I'm like, man, you got to tell me what's going on. Yeah. And so they stop and he tells me the story. And he said, well, we're all laughing because he went to this young guy, he went to this village a couple weeks ago, and they chased them out of the village, threatening to kill him. And he ran, and he hid in this rice field, and he just laid down and hid, and then they got away. And we're all laughing because God has called him to go back to that village this week, and we don't know what's going to happen with oh, them. Oh, wow. And I was like, man, you guys just... The, the embrace of suffering for Christ... It's just something I had never experienced in my life. And honestly, I'm learning from them what it means to really acknowledge Christ before men, even whenever it's not going to go well for you.
1: Robert also shared that the resistance to Christianity doesn't just stem from people alone. When the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.12 that we wrestle not just against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and the spiritual forces of evil, he meant it
0: the enemy has a hold in really every part of the world that's not America. It's his turf, and when you step onto his turf, it becomes very clear. He makes himself known a lot more uh, abruptly than he does maybe like in an American context. And so he knows it's his turf and he's trying to control it. And so the way that he'll do that sometimes through governments is he will uh, make them believe that if they they lose the hold on their religion, that they're going to lose the power of the votes, and then they're going to lose the power of the country. Yeah. And so a lot of people are power driven. Uh, a lot of these different, you know, dictators or presidents or whatever you want to call them, a lot of them are power driven. And to stay in power, they have to secure votes. And to secure the votes, the, one of the tools they use for that is religion. Um, and so that is a big case of it, that they don't want. Religion changing because then they're going to lose their power.
1: You know, we've we've spoken about you know you've seen um, the spiritual realm at work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, have you seen demonic activity at work?
0: Yes, demonic activity is very prevalent. One of the uh, one of the people that we're focused on there from the Buddhist tradition, and a lot of you know the Buddhism that we're exposed to here in the West is really not Buddhism. Uh, No one else in the world views Buddhism the way Americans do. I don't know what you would call it. It's not Buddhism. Uh, Because whenever you dive into the depths of Buddhism, it is really, in my experience, it's just a cover-up for demonic possession and, Mm. and activity. And so, a story to illustrate the difference of how we see Buddhism. I have... One of my friends, one of my pastor friends, he comes from a Buddhist background, and he works on reaching Buddhists. And we were driving in the car one time, and he looked over at me, and, and he was thinking for a minute, and then he looked over, he said, Robert? I said, yeah. He said, you know that look that someone gets in their eye whenever the demon is starting to manifest itself? And I have no idea what that was, but I played along. I said, yeah, yeah, mm mm-hmm. I said, of course. He said, well, I was at a house the other night, and this lady started to get that look when we were praying. He said, but I had somewhere to be, so I stopped praying and I left because I didn't have enough time to cast it out. And I said, tell me more about that. He said, well, you know, usually whenever we're working with these demonic possess people that we'll see kind of the the spiritual kind of demons start to manifest itself. And then it'll usually take us anywhere from three to 20 hours to cast it out. And they said, you know, we'll just be doing it with prayer. We're not doing anything crazy.
1: No incense, just, no... No, no,
0: none of that. We're just putting our hands on them and we're just praying in Jesus' name. And we'll pray as long as it takes. And, and what they're doing and praying is they're waiting on God, right? So there's some branches of people and that believe that you have all the power to cast some demon out. Uh, but these guys know like, hey, we can't cast anything out. We just, when we pray, it's a waiting on God. Yeah. And so they'll wait on God. And sometimes that wait and that fervent prayer will take three hours. Sometimes they have to leave and come back. And he's told me stories where they've had to go back to the same person that was demon possessed, and they've had to pray every day for, you know, two weeks straight before the demon is finally cast out. And then he's told me stories of those other times where they've casted them out in five minutes. And the, the moral of the story is that there is demonic spirits at work, and God is the one who casts them out. Yeah. And so we wait on God, and we, we wait for Him to do that. Yeah. And so a lot of my um, pastor friends, that's just a part of life for them. They have so much experience in it, and honestly, I'm learning from them about it, because that's not the... A tradition that I was brought up in, and that really isn't a lot of what I saw in America. I saw glimpses of it in America, yeah, but not a lot. And so we're learning from them what that looks like, and we always just go back to the Word with them. So we hear a story, and we're like, okay, let's just dive back into the Word, and let's make sure like this is really you know biblical. We're supposed to test the spirits, yeah. Let's make sure we're testing them, and so we'll just dive back into the Word of God and make sure that. Uh, Okay, we're not seeing anything that's not lining up with the Word of God. But in a lot of cases, we're seeing things that we see in the Word of God. And so it's like, okay, this is kind of confirmation. Like, this is how it was happening then. And he's the same, you know, Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're seeing really consistent things. And so we're just learning from them. We're pressing in. We're trying to take a humble uh, posture and just really let them teach us a lot more about
1: that. Yeah. For you, I mean, I mean, the, the very first time you even you know heard this, right? And you've you mentioned like you know the tradition that you came up with here in the U.S. This is not your norm at all, right? This is a mm-hmm. uh, at least for me, you know, growing up, I kind of you know sort of like, oh yeah, right, you know, like, and, and that's just being be honest, right? You know, yeah, because I think there uh, unfortunately, you know, there have been. Um, charlatans and imposters, right? Wolves within the church yeah. uh, that sensationalize and you know totally fabricate some of these things, right? right? Although we know from the scriptures, like, no, this literally does happen. It happened then. And, and from your testimony, I mean, it happens today as well, right? Yeah. I have not
0: met a missionary working in Asia who doesn't believe that healing still happen today. Yeah. I have met a lot who have given me their testimony that when they came to the field, they didn't believe in it, but that the field uh, forced them to change uh, their view on that particular point. Yeah. And so it's, um, you know, for me, it's not really something worth arguing about because it's just a
1: fact over there. And over there, we don't question it. These miraculous acts by God have strengthened Robert's faith and those nearby. But it's important that we remember the true miracle at work. Have you ever wondered why traditional math curriculums seem like they have a one-size-fits-all approach? Well, that's because they do. The curriculum writers are making assumptions about how quickly your child is progressing, even if your child is actually struggling with a concept, which, if left unchecked, can become a major hurdle to learning and hurt their confidence. That's one of the reasons why CTC Math exists. It's an adaptive online approach that automatically changes depending on your child's unique learning needs. By adapting to your student's pace, learning becomes not only more effective, but also more enjoyable. Can you imagine? No more tears about fractions. The interactive questions change in difficulty based on how your child is progressing, ensuring that they're challenged at the level that's right for them. Not too hard, not too easy. It's just like having a math tutor who knows exactly what they need when they need it. And as a parent, you'll love the detailed reports. You'll get to see their progress in real time and celebrate their victories and understand their challenges. Ready to give your child's math education a major boost? Just visit ctcmath.com and sign up for a free trial. And experience firsthand how personalized learning can transform your child's approach to math. Again, that's ctcmath.com. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle. And I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free US shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M. compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too.
0: Two out of three people that come to faith in Asia, from my experience, is usually from a healing or a demon that got cast out. Wow. It's not enough that someone is just healed or that a demon is casted out. There has to be a right response to the gospel, right? So there's whole ministries overseas that they're just focused on the healing and the casting out of demons. uh, And they're just focusing on sometimes manufacturing that stuff. But it has no true gospel. Yeah. And so the way that we kind of pair those two is that there's multiple times in the book of Acts that we see both gospel and healing together. Yeah. And there's times where we see gospel without healing. And so we tell our guys, hey, pray, but then also share the gospel no matter what. Yeah. And so we we just tell them, hey, the greatest miracle is that God would save a sinner yeah. That's bound for hell and that yeah. he would make them clean. That's the greatest miracle. So, per, pursue that miracle and then pray that God would heal people. And a lot of the time, the healing is, we see this in Hebrews, but the healing just confirms the message. Yeah, And so, that's what a lot of, you know, God, we just kind of see in Asia that people are sharing the gospel, true gospel, and then God is confirming the message for the people that are hearing. And they're devoting their life to Christ. I think the reason that people in America don't see the spiritual darkness or don't see Satan's activity as much is because they don't believe that it's real. And so if Satan already has you believing that there's no such thing as demon possession or any of this, why would he ever show his face? Like that's a victory for him that people don't believe. Well, the difference when we got to Asia is everybody believes in spiritual realm? Yeah. Everybody believes in spirits, and so it's just like Satan is much more in your face yeah. overseas because nobody questions it. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, of course. Like everybody's got different spirits, and in many countries, uh, people that get tattoos, the tattoos represent how many demons you had or how many demons you got cast out of you. Some of it is, you know, just a tradition but then some of it uh there's some stories that go with it and so it's just an idea that it's much more in your face than in america where we've kind of been lulled to sleep by it you know we really don't see it so then you know out of sight out of mind yeah and that's a win for the enemy like that i think satan is happy with that outcome
1: yeah yeah can you give us an example of healing that you've seen on the field
0: the first time i went to asia in 2015 never Seen healing never heard of healing nothing like that did
1: you even believe it was a thing
0: i believed it was a thing because i read the scriptures and uh whenever i read the scriptures i was like man sure does seem like a thing right and so i believed it was a thing and i had been praying and asking god i was like god i want to see it i want to see it i want to see it and please let me see it let me see it you know i was just asking him lord ah, i'd love to see that that'd be so much fun um And finally, I got convicted that I wanted to see it for myself and for uh, just my own story or whatever. And I didn't really want to see it for that person, or I didn't really just want to focus on how great God is. And so I confessed that to the Lord. And then we went to Asia and we were doing a training that we were equipping uh, some people. And this lady came up and she came up and just asked for for prayer and so we we put our hand on her and we asked her you know what's going on and and she said you know I have a stomach ache and I've had some bleeding in different places and uh, so we just put our hand on her and we just prayed in Jesus name and just asked him to heal this lady and I don't know how to explain it so I felt something uh, in the sense of it just you know felt like God maybe did something and so very skeptical uh, we look up and I asked the translator ask her you know hey how do, how do you feel and uh, at this point she's just weeping and uh, she said I'm better she said something something's happened like I just felt a jolt go through my stomach and now I feel completely fine I haven't felt this good in weeks and so we um, shared gospel right? Yeah. The healing. You can get healed and go to hell. Yeah. That's what I tell our pastors. I say, hey, if someone gets healed, does that mean they're going to heaven? No, you need the gospel. So, so she, she testified that she was feeling better. And so we shared the gospel with her. She gave her life to Jesus. And then we connected her to a local pastor who's been able to follow up and kind of do discipleship
1: uh, with her and, and get her into community. As Robert and I spoke, he made an important note that all witnesses for Christ should keep in mind. If I
0: catch myself either getting prideful or thinking I'm looking at the multiplication and I'm saying, wow, like, you know, look at what I've done. uh, The Lord will usually convict me and like a, a spear right to my heart, he'll just, you know, whisper, how many people have you saved, Robert? And you know, I just have to remember, I haven't, I don't save anybody, you know, you're, you're a God, you alone are worthy, you do all the saving, like, I just got to repent, I just got to get back to just seeking Him and, and focusing on the controllables.
1: As we wrapped up our conversation, Robert shared this exhortation about missions and taking the Great Commission seriously.
0: We have thousands of people groups that are just unengaged, uh, just unreached people groups, And if we really take the Bible serious, and we really think that, you know, Jesus uh, meant what he said, and that whenever the Holy Spirit inspired the pen of John to write down these words uh, in Revelation 7, that there's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne, if we really believe that's real, which I hope we do, then we got to take this stuff serious. Yeah, We got to get outside of you know, just us. And and we got to stop asking the question um, of what can we do? And we have to start asking, what's it going to take? Yeah. And it's going to take radical sacrifice. It's going to take radical obedience. And by radical, I don't mean that, you know, it's flippant, it's uncalculated, it's unbiblical. I just mean like full sold out devotion to Jesus and his mission. And that we could all have a part to play and we all got to jump in. And if you know we're going to spend eternity with him, if there's coming that day whenever he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth and he's going to wipe away every tear uh, and he's going to reestablish us, is there anything else worth going after with our lives? Yeah. Is there anything else that uh, we really should give our time to besides Jesus and his kingdom? Yeah. And the start for that, is every person, every believer, especially here in America, see yourself as a disciple. Why don't we assume that God wants to use us? And let's just pursue him with
1: everything we have. I mean, I think everything that you're saying here is so true. I, I personally, I am convicted mm. just in our conversation here. Like, wow, I'm not out there. You know, I am I, afraid, you know, I am afraid to go and speak to my neighbors. Yeah. Right? Uh, I am intimidated not because I'm gonna be beaten or anything, but because I would be embarrassed. Yeah. Right. And that that is you know very convicting for me to yeah just we, admit that.
0: Man, we just gotta be fools for Christ, right? Yeah. Hopefully they do think we're fools. Uh, we take that that verse in Luke. I think it's Luke 12. It might be 14, where, where Jesus says that anybody who acknowledges me in front of men, I will acknowledge in front of my heavenly Father, in front of the angels. Actually, I'll acknowledge in front of the angels. I have an approval idol and i don't like sharing the gospel yeah but the reminder and this is just god was always bringing this to my mind i would testify in front of somebody and share the gospel and you know they wouldn't respond well i would feel like they were disapproving of me really we know they were disapproving of god and i just kind of walk away kind of feeling down and i always felt like god reminded me hey i just acknowledged you before my angels yeah like in heaven." Like you just got an acknowledgement, and that was such an honor to me. Yeah, because there's no no greater joy in my life, changed my life, whenever I got to see God work through my obedience.
1: Yeah, Amen, Robert. Thank you so much for just taking the time out of your afternoon to share um, what God is doing through your life and through the lives of others around you. I really appreciate it and uh, we're excited to have you.
0: Yeah, thanks Paul, thanks for having us and we love what you guys are doing. So keep telling the story.
1: Amen. Robert's story is a great reminder of every believer's responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. I'm personally challenged by the same question that prompted Robert to go to the mission field originally. If you really believed you were going to spend eternity with the Lord, how would you live your life on earth today? And if we have the greatest news in the world to share, then let's not be afraid to share it. The second takeaway I wanna highlight is despite the miraculous nature of seeing people healed or casting out demons, it's important that we remember the actual purpose of those miracles. It's not so that people would be relieved of their physical problems or spiritual turmoil, and that's good and wonderful, but it's so that Jesus may be glorified and people come to Him. That is the true miracle at hand. If you'd like to get in touch with Robert to join his email list or support him financially, then email me at paul at compelledpodcast.com and I'll connect you. You can also visit our website compelledpodcast.com and look up this episode where we'll include links to some helpful resources about missions that Robert suggested. Again, you can find all of that at our website compelledpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's story and want to keep hearing more, here are a couple of ways you can help out. The first way is to join Compelled as a monthly member. We have different membership levels starting at $10 a month, and as a monthly member of Compelled, you'll receive access to different perks, including the -the behind-the-scenes recordings from our interviews. So if there was a guest that you really enjoyed listening to, like Robert, for instance, we might actually have up to two hours of interview time with them with all kinds of additional stories and insights that we didn't have time to include in our regular episode. And as a monthly member, you'll have access to all of those behind-the-scenes interviews. But of course, the biggest benefit of being a monthly member is you're allowing Compelled to continue sharing these important stories. You can become a monthly member today by visiting compelledpodcast.com and clicking the link at the top that says, Become a Member. The second way you can support Compelled is by sharing this episode with your friends. If you know someone who you think would enjoy hearing Robert's story, then send it to them and consider sharing this episode on social media. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler. Find him online at ZachFowlerImagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost. You can view his work online at siahdesign.com. Our website was created by Ben Billups. You can follow Ben on Instagram at ben.billups. Our media assistant is Frank Allegrea. You can find him on Twitter at The Frank Allegria. Our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Ficchino. And our assistant producer is none other than my lovely wife, Sarah Hastings. Our guest next Tuesday is Eric Ludi, a Christian author and speaker and founder of the Ellerslie Mission Society and Discipleship Training Program. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from that story. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and we'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. I remember one time I was, I was pulling in to speak at Ellerslie. I had a whole class waiting in there for me to walk in, but I was on the phone with uh, Haiti. And someone was telling me, they said, uh, yes, someone told them all sorts of stuff about you, that they need to cancel your adoption. They said that you're a Satanist that teaches people to uh, divorce. And I, I was listening to this going, what? That is so absurd. First of all, I'm a Christian that teaches people Purity and how to build a foundation to go the distance in your marriage. It's like, what the whole thing was so absurd, but it was real. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th, and there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky, and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com slash events. And I hope to see you there.